Welcome to the Nun Report, bringing your regular dose of truth, freedom, and weirdness with your host, Dan Nunn. Thank you for tuning in today as we close out this week. You know, I'm going to ask some questions today. A big part of the show is going to be dedicated to this, and that is, who is Vivek Ramaswamy? And more uh, part of that is, is there a Soros connection? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. And I'm going to explain that. So stay with the show, please. I'm going to talk to you about the so-called Soros connection, the reality of it, and also the disinformation portion of it that people are buying into. And they're discounting this person simply because, oh, he takes Soros money. No, 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 no. And I'll explain as we go through the show. We're going to take a look at some of his policy ideas, some of the things he's come up with lately. As he's gained attention, I admit that I uh, wasn't really, you know, he's kind of on the peripheral. He wasn't really right in my wheelhouse. I wasn't watching him really close. But as I've discovered more about him and researched more about him, as he's come, climbed in the polls, I've started to pay more attention. That's what happens. That's the natural course of an election. And he's, he's turning some heads, and he raises some good points. He's a smart, bright, articulate man. He is uh, he's certainly no slouch. He's a successful scholar. He's a successful entrepreneur. And he has some really good ideas. He has a lot of energy. Don't discount him, okay? And don't buy into the Soros misinformation. I'm going to provide the receipts, and I'm going to show you exactly what I'm talking about. We're going to take a look at the legal troubles of both the Bidens and Trump because they've all got them. It seems like anybody who's president nowadays has legal troubles, although we know that one is real, the Biden crime family. And what's interesting is it's like the more that gets exposed and revealed about the Biden crime family, the more they pile on Trump. In fact, Atlanta now is getting ready to dump some charges on him as well. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to take a look at current poll numbers of the elections and where they're at, and maybe a couple of other things, maybe a little bit of weirdness here and there. So let's get uh, things kicked off here quickly. It's, uh, again, it's, it's Friday. I'm looking forward to the weekend. I hope you are too. I hope you got some good plans, whether it's with your family, with your dogs, with everything, travel. I hope you don't have to work, people. I mean, really, go out and enjoy yourself, do some self-care, that sort of thing especially if it involves family or dogs. Those are my two favorite things. Anyway, let's get this kicked off. He's recently done a lot of interviews as he's become and risen in the polls and whatnot. Of course, he's getting more interviews from larger platforms. He's getting longer segments and more voice. He has some great plans to eliminate parts of the federal government. We're going to talk about that. And so Vivek Ramaswamy, who is he? And is there a Soros connection? That's today's episode. We're going to start with a couple uh, with Jesse Waters had him on and I'm going to, there's a part one and part two. I'm going to play them both with a little bit of commentary in between. So we can kind of dissect and unpack what he talks about and some of the policies that he's wants to put in place and that he promotes. Then we'll take a look at uh, a couple of other things and we'll hear from the man himself on the so-called world economic uh, forum connection, which there uh, is not but I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to explain all that. We're going to explain the connection to the Soros. So stick with me there. But first, let's get a little bit of information on the man himself. Starting right here. Vivek, why do the Democrats now want to censor RFK Jr.? Well, as somebody who is competing with RFK in some way in this election process, and as somebody who has my own disagreements with him on issues ranging from climate policy to affirmative action, 
I applaud his willingness to speak truths that the Democratic Party, his own party, does not want to hear. They prefer compliant puppets of the managerial class, like Joe Biden, like John Fetterman, as you noted, to somebody who's actually going to challenge their orthodoxy. And the funny thing, Jesse, is that the left used to be the movement in this country that stood for free speech, but things have changed in the last couple of decades. Now it appears to be more of a conservative value. And so even though I disagree with RFK on a number of policies, I did call him yesterday. I told him to keep up and stay strong in his fight. I respect his willingness to speak hard truths. That's what I'm doing in the Republican primary as well. And I think our country is going to be at its best when both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are the best versions of themselves, each pushing each other up, leveling up. That's what competition is supposed to do. Yeah, but they but don't want competition. Yeah, so leveling up, I agree. And one of the things that he brought up was the fact that the Democrat and, and Republican Party, conservative, liberal, whatever you want to use, have swapped places. They really have. You know, it's funny. I get a lot of trolls, obviously, on my site. And the larger it's gotten, the more trolls I get. And they become, uh, I mean, I, I try to mostly, usually I just block them because eventually they're going to turn on you and try to report you. And if you get enough reports, you know, your your page could get taken down, whether that's on Twitter or Facebook. So I just, I don't even mess with them. Once in a while, I'll keep them around if they're a little bit entertaining. But what's funny is the number of old white men with long hair that look like they're leftovers from the 60s. And I always ask them, you know, you used to be, you look like the kind of person that used to be anti-establishment. What happened? What happened? Because these same people who used to protest in the 60s and protest government and war and all that thing are now all in favor of war and big government. So they love big government. They love war. All the things that they used to protest against in their youth. And it's led this country down a hole, a, a, a slide into the pits of, of, really close to the pits of hell, I think. And the closer we've gotten to hell, the more evil and demonic activity you see in this country. But Vivek brings up a lot of good points there where, look, we need competition. We need to inspire each other. And in an ideal world, yes. But he understands the realities of the fact that the Democrat Party simply is in lockstep and they do not want to compromise. They don't want to lift each other up. They don't want to lift America up or Americans. The only people they want to lift up are themselves. And the second segment talks about that. So the first one, he says, look, the parties need to work together. We need to lift each other up and whatnot. And here's part two. Check it out. There's a study that, that, that COVID was bioengineered. So what? I mean, you can call that BS, you can call it, let's look into it, or you can call it, what? so what? What, what are they well, afraid the real, of? The real question, they're afraid of the truth, actually, because the path to truth runs through free speech and open debate. We would not have locked down those schools if you had been allowed to say on the internet that we should not lock down those schools. We wouldn't have locked down the schools in the way we did. We would have known that the virus originated in a lab in Wuhan if you had been allowed to say on the internet or elsewhere that it originated in a lab so in Wuhan. So Vivek, are they embarrassed, that, are they embarrassed they that they They're botched embarrassed. the response to COVID or is there a financial factor? I think it's more than just the retrospective embarrassment, though I do think that's part of it. It's the fact that they want to hide from the truth in the present. 
And I think they want to have the option, Jesse, of saying that if this is the new order, if suppressing misinformation becomes a new progressive virtue, then the next time there's an emergency or so-called emergency circumstance, they can still pull that card to advance their political so agenda. So it's about power. So in a certain way, it's preserving the options. So it's, it's preserving about power and the power preserving power the play. option. Okay. Because the next thing exactly that happens, it. they suppress speech all over again because now there's press. So he recognizes that it's a, it's a power trip, a power play on the Democrats' part, that the whole response to COVID did not have to do with saving lives, didn't have to do with protecting people, didn't have to do with flattening the curve. It had to do with cementing power and creating a mechanism whereby they could declare a state of emergency. And because it's an emergency, they can do almost anything they want. They can totally suspend the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. They can censor your speech. They can censor the information you can say. They censor the information you receive. And the only thing you get to hear is the government line while they line their park pockets and the pharmaceuticals get wealthy. He gets that. And I'm glad he's not afraid to say so. And he understands his power. So he, you know, perfect republic, yes. The parties would work together to lift each other up and thereby lifting America up. But unfortunately, that's not what we have right now. I think Favet gets it. And the more I look at this guy, the more I think about, uh, you know, he he really is a constitutional conservative. And he's a huge believer in the Bill of Rights. And I'm going to go into that a little bit later when we talk about the so-called Soros connection. But uh, just recently, in fact, I think this was just this morning. He was on Tim Cast with Tim Pool, And I, I grabbed this. He's, uh, his parents were immigrants. You know, they came here in, um, oh, when did they come here? Man. Anyway, they came to Cincinnati. <laughs> they're, they're from India. He was born in Cincinnati, and his parents immigrated here. He was born there. As an immigrant, he was able to get uh, some funds through a trust, which we're going to discuss as well. So he went to school. He went to graduate school. He's, he's a bio, biology guy. He has a law degree. He's gone... To, he has all the credentials. He, he did a business startup where he built it into a large tech company and then sold it out. That's where his fortune came from, okay? So this guy is an entrepreneur. He is a scholar, and he's a visionary. Does he have what it takes to be president? Before we go any close, no, I have not jumped off the Trump train. Dan is still... 100% behind Donald J. Trump. He's the man that we need right now. But imagine this guy. He, he's already starting to pass DeSantis in some polls. And DeSantis is so dry, man. There's no way he's going past the primaries. I think that uh, Vivek could potentially become, well, maybe not a vice president. Um, I think a more important role than that would be a, a uh, upper position in the administration. And... Because the, the vice president, you know, let's face it. I mean, the vice president gets sent around the world to do things that nobody else wants to do. And they're really just kind of a placeholder where there are some cabinet member positions that wield far more influence, far more power, have far more input than the vice president ever would. So um, anyway, here, here's Vivek. He was on Tim Cast. Check this out. And I show you all these videos so that I can talk about them and I can tell you about them, but I don't know how much you have dug into him. And so I'm showing all these clips. They're longish clips. Uh, you know, anywhere from one to one minute to a minute, 30 seconds. But I show them to you so that you can kind of make up your own mind. So you can listen to him speak. If you haven't searched him out, if you haven't looked at some of what he has to say, and there is a lot of it out there now, I highly recommend you do. 
Do your homework on this fellow because you might be surprised. Hardship is not a choice in life. Right? Hardship is something that happens to you. My, my parents actually encountered plenty of it as we were growing up. My dad faced, you know, I think a ruthless round of layoffs at GE under Jack Welch's tenure when my dad was, you know, 10 steps down the totem pole in their org chart. But what did he do? He went to night school at law school for four years. I was in sixth grade. I used to go with him and sit with him in the back of the classroom because we didn't, I mean, they didn't have child care or anything else. Full day at work, 45-minute drive to northern Kentucky, but he kept his job that way because they had a shortage of patent attorneys. I say this because I grew up in a household where that was the example that was set for me. So when I entered the workforce, yeah, 2008 financial crisis mm-hmm. hit six months into my job. We had some problems. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I remember the example my parents set. Hardship is something that happens to you. It's not something you choose. Yes. But victimhood is a choice. Yeah. We choose to be victims. You don't choose your hardship, but you do choose victimhood. You can choose not to be a victim. And hardship is not the same thing as victimhood. And I share that because there are legitimate grievances that many millennials and Gen Z members growing up in our American economy can have. But honestly, for most of human history, most people of any skin color or whatever, we all have some grievance we can latch on to. But I think a big part of where we landed in this case of self-loathing was this deeper psychic insecurity that we're actually afraid of trying to realize our full potential because if we fail, we're afraid of that failure. Mm. We're afraid to match up to the standard set by the great man, our baby boomer generation that came before. Yeah, hardship versus victimhood. And I would add on to that, that a lot of the victimhood mentality comes from our leaders in Washington, D.C., our politicians who constantly put victimhood on you because of your race, because of your class, because of your financial standing, because of your immigrant status, because of where you came from, because of who your parents are, because they always, the, the commie Democrats always have a reason to make somebody a victim. They're not about, they don't want people to succeed. You understand that, right? The Democrats do not want you to succeed because that threatens them. It threatens their control and their power because if you don't need them to survive, then what's their purpose? Oh, they might actually have to be servants instead of rulers. Wouldn't that be horrible? If if our leaders actually became servants that they were meant to be, that our constitution and the founders of this country set up the framework to be. Imagine that. Maybe we need some fresh blood and some fresh ideas and some, some youth and vigor. Maybe Vivek Ramaswamy is the guy. Maybe not right now, but maybe in the future. He was also at Turning Point Action Conference and he had this to say. Check it out. We are speaking the truth, the hard truth, without apology. We will do it without fear. We will speak the truth today. God is real. Unborn life is life. There are two genders. Fossil fuels are a requirement for human prosperity. Reverse racism is racism. An open border is not a border. Parents determine the education of their children. The nuclear family is the best known form of governance to mankind. 
Capitalism is the best system known to man to lift people up from poverty. There are three branches of government, not four, and the U.S. Constitution is the strongest guarantor of freedom in human history. That is the truth. We will not back down from the truth. We stand up for the truth. That is what won us the American Revolution. That is what will win us the revolution of 2024. That is what it means to be an American today. Thank you. Thank you. So what do you think of that? What do you think of that? He believes in fossil fuels. He believes in fairness. He believes in the nuclear family. He believes that there are only two genders. He believes that reverse racism is, in fact, racism. He's a believer in God and spiritual life. He believes in free speech. He believes in capitalism. He believes there are only three branches of government. He believes that family know what's best for their kids, not government. He believes in education. What's wrong with these things? You know, I had someone say, I, I put out a question on my page. I said, what do you think of, of Vivek Ramaswamy? And uh, thoughts. And a couple of people came out, oh, he's just a smooth talker. Well, isn't being able to communicate effectively part of what you, the requirements to run for office like that? Isn't being a so-called smooth talker one of the things that are kind of a requirement for that job? You have to at least be able to communicate your vision and your plan of action in an effective way that people can not only understand it, but also get motivated and get behind you. You're a leader. It's your job to communicate effectively. It's your job to be persuasive. It's your job to be a so-called smooth talker. Right? That's why DeSantis can't win. Because he doesn't motivate, he doesn't energize, he's certainly not good at communicating his message. He's awkward, he's dry. And that's why Vivek has taken over, taken him over. I can't wait to see the debates. The primaries are gonna be amazing, people. You, you, these primaries and these debates are gonna happen. Oh, hold on to your seats, baby, because they're gonna be something else. They are going to be something else. Let's talk a little bit about the so-called uh, Soros connection because this is one thing. In fact, on the, the, the same thread that I put out there, hey, what about uh, Vivek Ramaswamy? What do you think of that? Somebody said, oh, he's, he takes Soros money. He's out. I won't even consider him because he takes Soros money. I was like, hmm, really? I did about 20 minutes of research and found out that that, in fact, is not true. Well, wait, wait, wait. He did take Soros money, Paul Soros, through their trust, their foundation, okay? And as you come through, um, their, their, their foundation, Fellowship for New Americans. So basically it's a foundation that provides scholarships for upper level education under very strict criteria. They have like 1,300 people that apply every year for only 30 scholarships. Each scholarship is worth $90,000. Now, this is Paul and Daisy Soros. Paul is George Soros' older brother. You may not have ever heard of Paul Soros. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He is the definition of the American dream. If anybody was, 
Paul Soros was the definition of the American dream, and he has nothing to do with his younger brother, George. I'm going to show you the receipts. So yes, Vivek did take money from Soros. Paul and Daisy Soros, he took a $90,000 fellowship so that he could get through graduate school as an attorney. And that's it. Paul Soros has nothing to do with his younger brother, George. They didn't come to America at the same time. They don't share the same values. And he had nothing to do with him right up to his death in 2013. The foundation is still active and run by his son, Jeffrey. Paul's son, Jeffrey. So, you know, there's lots of Soros in the world. Just because you hear a bad word doesn't mean it's connected to George or the dirty, filthy money that he has. But let's explain a little bit about that. There was one other thing that happened. And rather than me explaining it, I'm going to let Vivek tell you about it himself. Check it out. What is my relationship with the World Economic Forum? Answer, none, other than being probably their biggest critic here in the United States. And then the reason people are asking me this, though, is because the World Economic Forum named me on a list of so-called young global leaders. They did it despite the fact that I turned down their award. They kept my name on that list despite the fact that I repeatedly asked them to take it off because I did not share their values. I'm an opponent of it. Well, when they refused to do it, you know what I did? I sued them because I believe in taking action. That's the World Economic Forum question. So there you go. They gave him a award he didn't want. They put him on the website that he didn't give them permission to do. And he sued them because they refused to remove it. He wanted to make sure there was no connection and no nothing between them. So there's the George Soros and the so-called World Economic Forum connection busted. I believe what he says. And the reason I believe what he says is because I've researched the man and I've researched where the actual money came from and I've researched his history and what he's done. He's on, yes, he's on the Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans website as a fellow. You know what a fellow is? Let's define a fellow. A fellow is someone, in this case, who takes money from a foundation, a nonprofit that gives them money to go to school. So you're now considered a fellow. There's tons of fellows. Vivek happens to be one of them in 2011. He's the founder and resources of Royvent Sciences. He's a child of immigrants from India. So this is off of the same, this is off the website uh, for, for the Americans. Vivek Ramaswamy is the founder and CEO of Revolent Sciences. Vivek was born in Cincinnati, just so you know a little bit about him, okay? He was born in Cincinnati to Indian parents in high school. He was class valedictorian, a nationally ranked junior tennis player, and an accomplished pianist. Vivek graduated from Harvard College in 2007, summa cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa, with a major in biology. Later, he entered Yale Law School. While at Harvard, a priestess of his senior thesis on the ethical question raised by creating human-animal chimeras was published in the Boston Globe and the New York Times. He was a chairman of the Harvard Political Union and served as one of the three undergraduates chosen for an advisory board for the selection of the current president of Harvard. During his senior year, Vivek co-founded studentbusinesses.com, okay? a technology startup company which connected entrepreneurs with professional resources via the internet 
He led that company to its acquisition in 2009. So he started a tech startup, built it up to a level of value, and then sold it for a pretty penny. After Harvard, Vivek worked for three years in life sciences, investing in New York before pursuing his law degree. Okay, so there's a little bit of background on him. So he's a scholar. He is an entrepreneur, extremely successful at both. He was a competitive athlete. He's a musician. These are all traits of geniuses, okay, in case you didn't catch that. And so to completely discount him out of hand would be, would be silly. Don't be, don't be that person. Don't be like that. Educate yourself. Do your homework. This is important. What happens going forward in this country in the 2024 election and beyond is important, critically important for the survival of this republic. And I hope that y'all get that message by now, okay? So let's take a look at a little bit about um, Paul Soros. Who is Paul Soros anyway? Okay, well, like I said, um, they started a, a, they have a fellowship. It's called Fellowships for New Americans. And it's a, it's a nonprofit trust that provides up to $90,000 in tuition for immigrants that want to go to school, upper graduate school, okay? In 2010, Mr. and Mrs. Soros contributed an additional $25 million to the charitable trust, okay, that funds their fellowships for new Americans. The trust was founded, by the way, in uh, uh, 19, 1998, okay? No, it, yeah, that's right, 1998. I got notes here. So, so it's been around for a while. Um, Mr. Soros passed away on, sat, on Saturday, September, June 15, 2013, at the age of 87, his inspired personal story, his commitment to American constitutional democracy. You see, he was a constitutional conservative, Paul Soros. Nothing like George Soros. Complete polar opposites. Okay? George is evil, world, new world order, demon. Okay? Paul Soros was not. Paul was a good man. He came here, and I'm going to talk about his story just a little bit because I think it's important. I think it's important not only to understand where, what the foundation is that provided Vivek his grant for his education, part of his education, a couple of years of it, but also to understand what the American dream is like and that the story of immigrating to this country and becoming successful beyond anybody's wildest dreams and then being able to help others also become successful. Is that not the American dream? Correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, his visionary philanthropy are fundamental to the fellowship program. New York Times detailing his life story and, and lots of stuff is available online. Check it out. Research this guy. Trust me. The Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans is a 90,000 merit-based fellowship exclusively for immigrants and children of immigrants who are pursuing graduate school in the United States. The program draws... Wow, I had it wrong. It's even more. The program draws more than 1,800 applicants annually for only 30 fellowships. Their criteria to get one of those scholarships, incredibly rigid. Because think of it. They have to choose only the top 30 out of 1,800 applicants. And you know, all these applicants are good. They could all go to, to you know, the, the, the big colleges and stuff. 
but they can only choose 30 each year. Think of that. Think of that. So Paul Soros, Paul Soros arrived in New York with very little money, okay? And he enrolled in Brooklyn College and Polytechnic Institute, a present-day New York University Tandem School of Engineering, where he earned his master's degree. As he could not afford higher education Ivy League universities, he resided in a cheap apartment near Prospect Park as a student, but still struggled to pay for rent and food. He founded the Soros Association, which designs and develops bulk handling and port facilities of Brazilian multinational used designs created by Soros company to quadruple Brazil's iron core output, becoming the world's largest corporate iron ore producer. Soros Associates now operates in 91 countries around the world. So a super successful country. You've got a guy who came in as an immigrant in 1936. He changed his name. going to go through the timeline here a little bit. So in 1936, and I wrote this down because I don't want to get it wrong, but here, here's kind of Paul Soros' uh, timeline of what his life was. In 1936, his family, uh, Schwartz, they changed their name to Soros because what was happening in 1936? Well, the Nazis were taking over Europe, okay? They're Hungarian Jews with the last name of Schwartz. So they changed their name to Soros. In 1944, Germany occupied Hungary. Okay, so this was getting toward the end of the war. In 1945, uh, the Soviets liberated uh, Hungary and they arrested Paul Soros, mistakenly thinking that he was an SS officer. On the march to Russia, Paul Soros was able to escape the prisoner march and he worked his way back to Budapest where he lived in hiding and traveled in safe houses for a long time during the Soviet occupation before it was released. And in 1948, he immigrated to America. And then you have the story. He went to school. He became successful. He started in, in 1950. He went to that college where he met his wife, Daisy. He founded Soros Associates after he graduated, became incredibly wealthy because he created a way whereas a company in Brazil could become the largest iron ore producer and distributor in the world. He built that corporation until it now operates in 91 countries around the world. Okay. In 1998, he, he founded the, the Paul and Daisy Soros fellowship for new Americans in 1998. And then the rest is kind of history. We've talked about it. Let's take a look at his philanthropy through his foundation just a little bit closer. Paul Soros and his wife, Daisy Soros, founded the Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans, which provides funding for graduate degrees for immigrants and the children of immigrants. Each year, 30 students, 30, are awarded fellowships for up to $90,000 to cover two years of graduate tuition, as well as living and other expenses. The fellows may study any subject they wish at any American university. Now check this out, because these are the qualifications that Vivek had to meet to get his 90,000. And keep in mind, out of 1,800 applicants, only 30 are chosen. And Vivek Ramaswamy happened to be one in 2011. So the fellowship, in order to be awarded the fellowship, students must demonstrate a unique idea or talent, have accomplished something concrete through long-term effort, and have been involved with the government or other organization dedicated to the ideals of the U.S. Bill of Rights. This guy's a patriot. Paul Soros is 
it exemplifies the American dream. He's a constitutional conservative, a patriot who believes in the Bill of Rights, and as a requirement of those who would get grants from his foundation, he's, he's a philanthropist, and not in the way that Bill Gates are, is, but in a real meaningful way that I think makes a difference. Paul and Daisy Soros founded the Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship in 1998 with $50 million. By 2010, they had awarded more than $30 million to nearly 400 students. They dedicated an additional $25 million to the fellowship in 2010. Paul Soros served as chairman of the fellowship, and his son, Jeffrey Soros, became the president in 2010. Paul Soros died in 2013, survived by his wife, Daisy, and Jeffrey still runs the fellowship that's doing so much good for the education of immigrants that come to this country. So is there a Soros connection to Vivek Ramaswamy? Yes. Could anybody find that out if they just did their homework and dug a little bit pretty easily? Yes. Don't be lazy. Don't just assume you have all the answers because you hear, oh, Vivek takes Soros money. Don't let the Trump blinders blind you so much to the fact that there are other viable people out there. And Vivek may be one. Maybe he's not. But he deserves a look. And he deserves an honest, an honest digging into who he is and what his past is. Don't believe the BS. Remember, a lot of what you hear on mainstream media, even from the conservative pundits, is fake news. I hear Trump supporters, they're the ones who told me that. No, no, Vivek Ramaswamy is, yes, Soros money. I wouldn't even look at him. Well, you're making a mistake you're being ignorant, and you're doing it by your own choice. So don't be willfully ignorant. Do your homework. Or, you know, just tune into me every day. I'll do a lot of it for you. Maybe I can be part of your homework. How about that? That's kind of what I, my, that's kind of what I do. I gather information. I present it to you. I don't, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm not trying to make up your mind or have you go in a different direction. I'm simply providing real-life information, giving my opinion on it, it's an opinion show. And then you can make up your own mind and form your own opinions. That's what free thinking beings do. That's what a free society does. That's what America does. So a couple more things on Vivek, and then we'll move on to a few other topics before we take off here for the weekend. I got to get my, uh, got to get my thing to go across here. There we go. Um, so anyway, he was on the Charlie Kirk show recently too, and he had this to say. Check it out. The FBI. Is it time to close it down completely? Is it time to relocate yes. it out of D.C.? Okay, so you say abolish the FBI. Yes. Why? That's right. So at the local level, you've got local prosecutors and you've got local police. You don't have an intermediary bureaucracy sitting in between. I'm making my way. My wife and I are both doing it. This book called G-Man. Everybody should read it. It's called it's for government man. It's about J. Edgar Hoover. It is something about the institutional nature of that institution, that bureaucracy itself, that is by design a formula for corruption. It shouldn't have existed in the first place because you don't need something sitting in between the DOJ, which has its own problems, and we can talk about that separately, and the US Marshals, which sit over here, which are like the cops, the actual federal cops. When you put those tens of thousands of bureaucrats today still reporting into the J. Edgar Hoover building of the FBI, it is almost a formula for the creation of that form of corruption. So I think it's a false promise for anybody to say, oh, you're fired the head of the FBI and get the bad apples out. I, 
using language that I hear from some of the other candidates that now want to check this box and feel good about checking that box. That's not going to get the job done. I, I couldn't get that job done because this is a beast that was created in the shadow of J. Edgar Hoover yes. that's doing exactly what it did to Martin Luther King. This isn't a left-wing issue. Blackmailed him to commit suicide. Now going after Trump or anybody who had any affiliation with Trump. We have to shut the thing down. And there's good evidence, Charlie. I mean, we've gone through government shutdown periods where they threatened national security risk if they actually couldn't get paid or their employees were put on furlough. Nothing bad happened. To the contrary, I think we're actually going to have greater efficiency if the DEA has more accountability for its own drug cases rather than the FBI competing with it to take on those same cases. I don't think we need the ATF. The simple background checks that are done, fold that into the U.S. Marshals. So this is where when you have redundant federal agencies, you're asking for corruption, you get what you pay for. Absolutely shut it down. And is there going to be some broken glass along the way? Some frictional sure costs? So. Yeah, there are. We'll be honest about that. But that's what it's going to take to restore three branches of government in this country, not, not four. four. That's what yeah. the Constitution Yeah, that's right. And, and so there you have it. He wants to abolish the FBI. I agree. Now, I'm going to point this out. A lot of people say, well, we, but we need law enforcement. You can't just get rid of Yes, you can. You're not, you're not decreasing the enforcement ability. What you're doing is you're abolishing an agency that is corrupt beyond repair. It cannot be fixed. It was designed to be corrupt. It's doing exactly what it was designed to do. Okay? Get rid of it. Vet all of the rest of the agents and personnel that are there. And then distribute them to other agencies that can perform the same function. There is so much redundancy in government, federal government particularly, and it creates massive amounts of waste. We don't need to be wasting all those resources, all those tax dollars, and creating a department that does nothing but, you know, witch hunts nowadays, right? They do do some good law enforcement acts, which is why you take their agents, well-vetted, re-interviewed, new background checks, the works, redistribute them to other agencies. So we're not losing any capacity in law enforcement. So take that right out of your head. We're getting rid of an agency that is corrupt beyond repair. He wants to get rid of the ATF, the FBI, the Department of Education, a couple of others too. Here's one more thing he had to say, and then we'll move on. Check it out. And so what I ask is, how are we actually going to end this conflict in a way that advances about U.S. interests? And the thing that puzzles me, Tucker, is nobody in either party is talking about this right now. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat that the U.S. actually faces today. And we are pushing Russia closer into China's arms by actually continuing to arm Ukraine. So what I've said is that I would negotiate a deal that ends the Ukraine war, freeze the current lines of control. Yes, that means giving part of the Donbass region to Russia. I would make a hard commitment that NATO never admits Ukraine to NATO. And those seem like unspeakable words in the, certainly the Republican donor class, but we get something greater in return, which is that Putin in that case would have to exit his military partnership with China and remove nuclear weapons from Kaliningrad, which border Poland and get the Russian military out of Cuba and Venezuela and the West. And this is a deal that Putin should do because he ends up winning. He gets things that he doesn't have today, but it secures American interests too. And, and I do think in a weird way, it does take an outsider to get that job done. Because if you want someone to fix a problem, you don't turn over the keys to somebody who actually broke the thing in the first place. If you want to fix it, maybe have somebody who didn't break it in the first place. And that's part of why I'm in this race as an outsider. Okay. Well, since you're getting radical now. Yeah. 
He wants to get out of Ukraine. And not only that, he has an idea, a plan to do it. He has a way to get out. It's gonna, it's not just gonna happen, man. We're not, we can't stay there forever. As much as the the ruling class would like that to be, so they can continue to feed the military industrial complex and their own pocketbooks. We can't do that. We need to get out of Ukraine. Vivek has a plan. He wants to get rid of a lot of bureaucracies and federal waste, including eliminating entire agencies. That's great. Again, he's he's a class A scholar. He's a successful entrepreneur. He's a patriot. He's a competitive sports person. He competed very highly in college. He's an accomplished pianist. I know I've said these before, but just to wrap it all up into one thing. He believes in free speech. He believes in parental rights. He believes in the nuclear family. He believes in in capitalism. He thinks there's only two genders. He says reverse racism is racism. Look, all these things, people. He's not just saying them. Research him, okay? Hopefully, I've given you a little bit of a glimpse of who Vivek Ramaswamy is. Hopefully, I've given some of you doubters and some of you Trump-only people something to think about. Look, I still support Trump. You can too. But you can also educate yourself about other candidates at the same time. Because putting all your eggs in one basket, I don't know any part of life where that's been recommendable. Ever. So we can support Trump. We can honestly open our minds and educate ourselves about other candidates and the ideas that they have and make our decision from there. If you decide to still stick with Trump, great. I probably will too. In fact, I'm 99%. But that doesn't mean I don't want to look at the other people. I think Vivek's a good guy. I think he's sincere. I think he's honest. He's super intelligent. He's motivated. He's got ideas. And he knows how to put him into action. I like him. Now you got to decide. But hopefully I shed some light on it. All right, let's move on here. Uh, We've done enough. We took three quarters of the show on one topic. I rarely, rarely do that. But I thought it was important to kind of dive into who this person was. And... And I hope that that we've accomplished that, at least to some extent. So here's what's going on with the with the court. I should have been looking into this congressional uh, and what we have now seen. If you go through the Durham report, what Mr. Ziegler and Mr. Shapley testified to in the Oversight Committee yesterday and in front of Ways and Means a few weeks ago, the fact that the Oversight Committee investigation into the money flow from China, from Ukraine, from Romania, and there are other countries that are coming forward. Our House investigation eerily matches what the IRS International Tax Fraud Department was investigating. And all of this is matching up. And the last thing that is also matching up is that you have political holdovers and political appointees at the Department of Justice who were obstructing justice so that this matter was never brought to the light of day. Last thing, you also have uh, our current Secretary of State who led this letter of 51 people in our intelligence community who said that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation. And we now know that is a lie. So I think that the. Look, the, the Biden crime family, they're, they're running. They've been running a protection racket. That's all it is. They're no, they're no better than, than mobsters. They're running an old school, old fashioned protection racket. They took millions of dollars from Ukraine, protected them. Okay. For lots of different things, 
that's a whole nother show. And then they put Hunter on the board of Burisma at Joe Biden's urging because they needed somebody on the inside to, to keep an eye on their, their racket and make sure that they weren't getting double crossed. So you see what's going on here. So that's kind of a little update on the, the, the Biden crime family, but notice how the more the Biden crime family is exposed and the more revelations we have, the harder they came down on Trump. Now they've decided to do his trial in May. This is the document trial that's going to happen down in Florida. And it, it's going to be May 26th is the, is the jury trial date. Um, it, of course, these things are oftentimes move and they get pushed further along. But look at this. The, the primary season, I mean, the Iowa primaries in January, Super Tuesday with 12 primary states is March 5th. And then they want to start the trial on May 20th. Then you have the Oregon primary, Montana, and then you have several primaries on June 4th. And then June 15th, you have the Republican National Convention in Milwaukee. So on May 20th is when they want to start the trial. And the national convention where you name the nominee is less than a month or no, two months later or no, less than a month later, June 4th or July, July 15th. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So less than two months later, you name your, your, your candidate for your party and early voting starts in October in Georgia, November is election day. So this, they put him right in the middle. The height of the campaign is when they want to do this trial for the documents case, the fake documents case, the document hoax case that they have put together. But that's not all. Fulton County prosecutors. Now, this is this is coming from the Guardian. Okay, I, let me qualify it with that. <laughs> I don't take this as gospel. The Guardian has sources, but they're they're oftentimes not incorrect in their main uh, their main story or the the topic. It's the details where they start their spin where they're full of shit, okay? But their main story oftentimes is true. And this is what they're saying. Fulton County prosecutors prepare racketeering charges against Trump. Fulton County District Attorney investigating Donald Trump efforts to overturn the 2020 election results in the state of Georgia has developed evidence to charge a sprawling racketeering indictment next month, according to two people briefed in the matter. So next month, look, look for more indictments. Look for more indictments. The more that comes out about the Biden crime family, and we know that more is going to come out, the harder they're going to dive on Trump and, and try to distract everybody and focus on Trump. They are scared to death of this man because they're scared he's going to come in and clean house. And I think he will. He knows much more than he did the first time around. The learning curve, this is the main reason I support Trump over any other candidate. Is one, he's got nothing to lose because he doesn't have a second term to worry about. Two, his... Family is independently wealthy. All his kids are grown and successful. He doesn't have a young family, okay? And three, he has no learning curve at this point. He already did that the first four years. So now he can step in fresh and energized without all the bullshit. He's gonna be able to spot the good from the bad better and drain the swamp even deeper. Anyway, the racketeering statute in Georgia requires prosecutors to show existence of an enterprise and a pattern of racketeering activity. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to go into that. To too, there's not a lot of detail past that. But I, I have been saying it for a while. Expect it. Expect more. Um, you know, more indictments as we go along here. 
Trump put this statement out after he did the viewing in bed minister of Sound of Freedom. Please go see Sound of Freedom if you have not, and please recommend others to do so. We all know that Trump is a huge, huge enemy who fights sex trafficking. He did in his first term. But he put out this statement. I don't know if we can read it. Uh, Let's check this out. Well, well, man, see, this is why I need a producer. You see what I did there? I blew up the document. I turned it the wrong way. I'm moving away from the mic so he can't even hear me. All right, this is what he says. <laughs> now that you're back, now you can't see my face, but that's okay, it's ugly anyway. Hey, in Agenda 47 policy video, President Donald J. Trump pledged to end the scourge of human trafficking and defend the dignity of human life. I will urge Congress to ensure that anyone caught trafficking children across our border receives the death penalty immediately. President Trump said, as President Donald J. Trump took historic action to combat human trafficking and will reinstate his successful policies once he returns to the White House because his policies were working great, but like everything, as soon as Biden got in there, they removed all of them. They didn't even review them. They didn't even look at them to see if maybe they were good policy or if, or if they were effective. No, no, they just got rid of all of them, all, all of them. Lock, stock, and barrel because orange man bad, right? Trump said, under my leadership, we did more than any administration in history to combat human trafficking and to end modern day slavery, President Trump said. In one of my first acts in office, a lot of people don't remember this. It kind of flew under the radar. In one of my first acts in office, I signed an executive order targeting transnational criminal organizations that traffic and exploit innocent people. I signed the Frederick Douglass Trafficking Victims Prevention and Protection Reauthorization Act, authorizing $430 million to fight sex and labor trafficking. He also authorized the military to take part in those actions around the world where they found bad actors. So anyway, that's all I got for you today. I I hope that you enjoyed the show. I had a good time preparing this one. I really enjoyed diving into the history of, of Vivek Ramaswamy and also that of the Soros family and Paul Soros in particular, Again, not connected with George Soros at all. They're polar opposites. They didn't, don't even communicate and did not up until his death. Yes, Vivek is, did take Soros money. He took it from the foundation of Paul and Daisy Soros for, for Americans that immigrate into this country for education. He took an education grant of 90 grand, okay? And a grant that only 30 people get each year out of 1,800 applicants. So that tells you a little bit about Vivek Ramaswamy, Okay. Um, I like him. The beginning of the video tells you all the reasons why. Actually, the the first half of the video uh, hasn't changed my mind. I'm still a Trump guy. I'm on the Trump train, and that's where I believe I will remain. But I'm not so close-minded and so blinded by my Trump blinders that I can't digest other information and and research other candidates. Anyway, hey, thanks for watching. If you've just been listening on radio, RenegadeRadio.com or any of the podcast channels. Make sure to check this out on rumble.com slash the nun report. Lots of good video was up there today that you need to see. If you go there, please follow me. It's free. It helps. Hit the thumb us up button on the videos. It helps. They don't spam you or anything. I don't spam you or anything. It's just another outlet of information. It's a free speech alternative to YouTube. Again, that's rumble.com slash the nun report. You can catch me on all the socials at the nun report, except TikTok because I don't do that commie BS. 
Also, Twitter, because I couldn't get the, so on Twitter, it's just at NunReport. Just go to my website, thenunreport.com. You can check it all out in one place. Anyway, hey, thanks again for watching. And as always, until next time, may the odds be ever in your favor. Cheers.